Hey, it's really great to be uh, with you this afternoon. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to, to sharing with you today. Yeah, my name's Mark Norwich, it's been said, and my wife Maddie. Maddie's also going to speak in a little bit as well, and you'll hear a little bit about what she does. Is that going to move? No, we're okay. Um, yeah, great. I, so many faces I recognize, people who've been to KST and things like that. Um, and of course, both Emma Wake and Rhoda, who came from our church in Northampton. I'm still waiting for the transfer fee. Uh, I don't know how that works. <laughs> but uh, no, we trust that they're a blessing to you as well as they were to us. Uh, so we, we lead Community Church Northampton, as we said. Got three kids, two of which are married. I don't know how that happened. You know, I know, come on, say it. You can't be old enough. Surely not. Not possible. Uh, but it seems like I am. Thanks, Rhoda. Uh, you know, chuckling in the corner. Um, so we are, are my oldest son and his wife uh, live in North Africa and uh, are working there. My uh, second son and his wife are students in Norwich. And uh, my youngest son is, our youngest son is at dance school in London. Some people say to me, dance, like where did he get it from? And I just go, well, can you not see all that dad dancing just paid off? Of course he's going to end up at dance conservatoire, of course, that's how things work, when you've got a dad like me. Yeah, that, that is a joke, it's okay to laugh. It's fun. Uh, I'm not going to do any moves uh, at all for you this morning, other than maybe a little sideways movement. Uh, also, uh, principal of KST, King's School of Theology, as has been mentioned, and uh, Grateful to, for your support of KST in this church and particularly all the good people in the church who have done KST and all the good people who will in the future do KST. You know, hey, who knows? Uh, you'll be welcome to. We offer uh, courses in theology that equip you for life and for ministry and you're able to study in the midst of life. And uh, our, one of our taglines is theology for everyone. Uh, that means even you. That's what everyone means, doesn't it? Like everyone. And even you. And uh, we really love it when we see people dig into the Word of God, dig into who God is, and find that that is transformative for how they see themselves, how they see the church, and how they see the world. And uh, we know that digging deep into God, digging deep into His Word does that. Do you think that's right? Okay. It's what we think. So uh, if, you, if you want to know more about that, then do come and see me afterwards. Maybe I'll I've got a little sheet. If you wanted to find out more information, then just stick your name on a sheet and I'll tell you. Uh, happy to give you more information about that. Our latest innovation, actually, at KST, for those who know about it, but our late, or two new developments this, this year, particularly. One is that we're offering short courses. So you can do little six-week or so courses in particular topics that we offer. Uh, again, what we're about is how do we equip the church more for the world that we live in? How equip the church everybody in order to read his word better. So we've got courses that maybe help you think about what the environment, what's going on with the environment, what's a theological response to an, the environment. We've just done a course on that. We've got a course by a guy called Rick Watts. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He's just done one on how, how does the New Testament deal with the Old Testament? That's for those who you know, like to think a little bit deeper maybe. And then another course coming up on how do we read the Bible together as small groups and churches. So maybe a bit more practical. That's coming up as well. So all sorts of stuff. You can find all of those on our website, kingstheology.org. And hopefully we can serve you along with other 
many other churches in that way. The, the second thing that's really exciting about Care's team, this is probably inf- interesting for those who know Care's team and could get excited about a lot of it, is that this year we've gone international. I know, right, international. So part of our innovation out of COVID and all that sort of thing was to be able to offer our courses online. Obviously, everyone had to do that. And we've continued to be able to offer it online. And this year, that has meant that we have got a student from Nigeria. Uh, we've got a student from the Philippines. Uh, we've got a, Philippine, uh, a student from France, uh, from Cyprus as well. So that's cool, isn't it? So we've got this, really, in our first year, we've got like six, I think it's like seven nationalities, six nations, if you include the UK, uh, all together in a classroom, learning together. And imagine what a rich, exciting environment that is. So we're excited about what God's doing in KST. Done. Leaflets, put your name down over there afterwards. Uh, and on to what I want to talk about today, because I'm also a bit excited about that as well. Because uh, today, I want to talk about Jesus. Is that okay? <laughs> We're going to talk about Jesus, and particularly my title, I don't know if you want to put that up there. My title I've given myself today is called Church Around the Table. Now, you might think, well, it doesn't sound like Jesus, but it is. You'll see. It's all about Jesus. Um, Church Around the Table. And as we've, I don't know what it's been like for you and your church, sounds brilliant this international evening you had last night, but it's been a bit, well, what do, you, what do you do after COVID? How do we as a church reconvene together as a strong community? And one of those things that I've been thinking about is this idea of meals. And what does it mean to come together to be community again after all that period of being, you know, spread out? And actually it takes a bit of effort, doesn't it? Have you found that here? So in our church, it takes a bit of effort to go, Hold on, what does it mean to really um, come back together? And so I've been thinking about this idea of meals or the table. Church around the table. A guy, uh, one guy called Tim Chester, he says that when you look at the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. And we find this idea of meals and the table, if you like, right at the heart of the ministry of Jesus in and through the Gospels. And we often focus on other things, don't we? We think about who's he, what's he saying and what's he doing, who's he praying for. But so often, all of these, these things are, uh, uh, orientate and center around his ministry at meals. So many meals are pretty central to Jesus' life, not as a moment just to refuel but as a moment of encounter and a moment of transformation, a moment of the kingdom of God breaking out in people's lives. We often uh, think about, so yeah, so I'm going I'm to start by talking about so three aspects, if you like, to Jesus' ministry around the table. That's what I want to talk about. And I'm calling them, just for the sake of easy, easy to remember, I'm calling them three tables. And I'm going to start by talking about, let's see if I can remember to do this. I'm going to start by talking about three, so I'm talking about three tables, but really what I mean is three ways of looking about at Jesus' ministry around the table. Is that okay? Okay. So the first one is this, the close table. And we're going to start at the end. We're going to talk about the last supper. Do you remember that? That's Jesus' meal with his disciples just before he gets arrested, just before he goes to the cross, and, and all that happens after that. But it's kind of the end, if you like. It's starting at the end of Jesus' ministry uh, on earth, and it ends with this 
moment, this Passover meal called the Last Supper. Of course, really, in, in some sense, it's not really the last supper, is it? It's like, almost like then the first supper, isn't it? Because then Jesus says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So it's a funny to call it the last supper because in some ways it's also the first supper. And we get to celebrate it, don't we? In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 then calls it the Lord's Supper. So these are all things have got some sense of continuity. Supper. Word, funny word, isn't it? I don't, I'm reading one of those things in some uh, trashy tabloid newspaper. You know, words that mean that you can distinguish which class someone is in in the UK. You ever seen that sort of things? And supper, is this right? Supper is one of those words that reveals a little bit about which class you're in in the UK. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what, so I don't know what supper is. We had a bit of an awkward conversation, to be honest, recently in, my, in our church small group around this, of um, who uses it in certain ways. And broadly, either they don't use it at all, supper, that's what posh people do. Or there's people like me, somewhere in the middle, who would say, well, supper is that bit that you, a sneaky little meal you squeeze in just before you go to bed. Is that right? Anyone else with me on that one? That's, yeah, okay. So this is what, that's what supper is. And, but I've got this other friend, and he was, I've got to be honest, it was a bit embarrassing because he was a bit embarrassed because supper for him is his evening meal. Oh, would you like to, oh, is that it? Okay, I'm going for it. That's posh people. I'm stepping right in there, mate. Sorry. Like, like he, uh, <laughs> supper. We want to meet for supper. What do you mean we go for steak and a beer? Well, it's not supper. Like, it's just grub, isn't it? Uh, so supper. But, so we've got this weird thing where it says Jesus is meeting for the last supper. And some of us are thinking, oh, how lovely. I love an evening meal. Others are thinking, bit of toast with marmalade. Are you joking? That's a bit rubbish. Can't you get it better? So we, it, it, we use this word supper quite strangely, and it really... Okay, it really quite annoys me, you know, that we end up calling it a Last Supper because whatever I think it is, it isn't crumpets, okay? It's not crumpets, there's no toast involved. This is like a slap-up meal of a Passover festival at this moment of the Last Supper. This is a meal. And to be honest, even if you dig in, if anyone likes to do that, dig into the Greek, like, it just means a meal, it's just dinner. Like, the last dinner and when we talk about in 1 Corinthians 11, it's the Lord's dinner. Like it's the Lord's, ta- it's like the Lord's meal. That's what it's all about. That's what that word means. I don't think I'll ever, you know, my campaign to lose the word the Lord's supper and call it the Lord's meal, I thought I'm, it's a lost cause, if I'm completely honest. But it's what I'd love to do. If I campaigned over everything, anything, that would be it. Uh, we'd, we'd lose it. The last supper, the Lord's supper. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. Um, passage in Luke 22, in this moment of the Last Supper. So I'm going to read Luke 22, 14, uh, yeah, to 38. Quite a long bit, actually. Maybe I'll skip it. Here we go. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. Church around the table. You get the link? And he said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again, drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, why call it a meal at the start and then a supper? Anyway, he took the cup. Uh, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. Then Then they began to question amongst themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute arose among them over which of them which would be the greatest. And I'm just going to skip that bit because we know Jesus' response, which says, don't lord it over each other. Whoever is great is the one who serves. Then verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, all of you as wheat but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without a purse or a bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. And he said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it. And also a bag, if you don't, and also a bag. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, he was numbered with the transgressors. And I will tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. What a strange, strange event. That's what, that's what strikes me, and that's why I've kind of whisked through it. I've read it quite quickly, because, but there's some things in there that are quite strange. Here we are at the last supper, the last dinner of Jesus, and we expect this moment to be this amazing, pristine moment, don't we? I don't know how you imagine the last supper, this pristine moment of a culmination of the ministry of Jesus, and they all gather around the table together, but what do we find? Did you notice? dissension. We find people arguing with each other about who's greatest. We find people who misunderstanding Jesus. That's what happened at the end. Jesus said, that's enough. And I read it like that. Not like, not that's enough two swords. It's just like, that's enough. You guys are driving me crazy. You're just not getting there. I'm not sure I get that bit either. But anyway, there's misunderstanding. And in fact, even in the midst of this meal, there is betrayal. But this is Jesus' last meal. The one where he has invited the disciples together. And this meal, as we know, becomes not just the last meal, but the first meal. This table becomes the very center of church. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about that. I mean, it's quite a new innovation that the worship band is at the center of church. Did you, did you know that? I'll just give you a little illustration. You notice? I mean, other than all the, you know, fancy stuff and people in lovely clothes around it, in the middle, what's there? A table. A table is in the middle of that. So it's not, this is not uh, some kind of, you know, this is quite a new innovation. Actually, in the middle of church has always been a table. It's always been this meal that Jesus instituted. Maybe we could see it more familiarly in, in this picture, the Leonardo da Vinci one, that this Last Supper is captured in this in this moment, and this table becomes the center of church. And it is that invitation that Jesus offers to us. 
That's why it's there right at the center of church. In fact, Maddie pointed out to me that there's actually a table here. You just got to navigate the drum kit to, to get there. Come to Jesus. As long as you go around the drum kit. The, church, the table, that invitation to the Last Supper is the one that Jesus eagerly desires each one of us at. We're invited there. And what struck me as, well, as we talked about it in, a, in the church recently was one of my friends, as we talked about this, this environment that we expected to be so pristine and wonderful and holy, if you know what I mean. Actually, in the midst of it, we find arguments and betrayal and misunderstanding. What a strange thing. And a, a friend of mine said something that stayed with me and it hit me hard. He said, he said this, he said, Actually, I think I'd feel quite comfortable there. What did he mean? He didn't mean because I'm... He just means that, like, if it was some holy, pristine environment, maybe I'd mess it up. Because he's saying, to be honest, I'm one of those who brings a bit of argument. He is, actually, he's a bit argumentative. Uh, a bit of argument. Maybe I'm one of those who wouldn't, you know, have a bit of betrayal in there. Maybe I'm the one who would misunderstand what on earth Jesus is about. But Jesus, isn't that amazing that Jesus, Jesus knows what's happening, doesn't he? He knows exactly what's happening at that meal, but he still says right at the start of it, I've been eagerly desiring eating with you. I'm desperate to have you here around the table. This first table of Jesus' ministry I'm calling the close table, and it is because everyone is invited to be close to Jesus. And it doesn't, that, that, this isn't a clean, pristine environment. It even includes me. <laughs> it even includes my mate. It even includes each one of us. In the midst of this reality of life, we're invited to the table with Jesus. The ministry of Jesus invites all comers, doesn't it? And in that moment, he says, come. I'm desperate to, I'm desperate to eat with you. I'm desperate that you would come and participate in that. I'm desperate that you are there. Actually, it struck me even looking at this painting in a way that I probably never noticed before. That sense of argument is there, isn't it? In, that, in the way that people are facing and there's, there's obviously a bit of side talk and a bit of finger pointing going on. I quite like this more modern take on The Last Supper. This is called a painting called Jesus is My Homeboy. And what I like about this is different, isn't it? I like it. It's a bit challenging. But this sense in which at Jesus' table, everyone is invited. Everyone is here, included. There, everyone can come. So we find at this close table that Jesus is the host and that we are the guests. And there's nothing about us as guests that excludes us from coming to him, the host. And in that moment of him hosting, he draws us to himself and he sets the tone. That's what the, Lord, the Lord's Supper means. You know that one in 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's meal. What it means is it's the meal where Jesus is the host. And the big criticism that Paul has actually of the church in Corinth is that they are not including everyone equally that they're judging people on social status. They're judging people on income. They're judging people on spiritual gifts and how 
you know, how, how fancy they are in the way that they do it. They're, they're judging people on, on the basis of roles within the church even. Do you know what Paul says about that? He says, it's not the Lord's supper you're eating. It's your own. You're acting as the host. Because if Jesus was the host, you wouldn't treat people like that. You are invited to the Lord's Supper. The close table with Jesus. And because he's the host, it happens the way that he wants. And because he's the host, it means everyone comes on equal standing to him. So what then do we say about this idea of betrayal and arguments and misunderstanding? And I find it so powerful that in the midst of this environment where Jesus invites people to him, he says, takes bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body. And it strikes me that in the midst of those broken relationships, Jesus steps in and says, I'm the broken one. I'm taking those broken relationships, that broken environment, that misunderstanding, that betrayal, I'm taking it upon myself. And the resolution to this broken community is actually the broken Jesus who offers himself as not only the host, but also the meal. Do you know what the source of wholeness and healing in the midst of even our churches? We're not all pristine, are we? We're not that pristine, holy environment that we imagine when we think of the Last Supper. Hey, it wasn't pristine then, never mind now. And in the midst of our brokenness of humanity and misunderstandings and betrayal and arguments, Jesus steps in and he says, come on, feed on me. Let me take your brokenness and I'll, I'll take it on me. I'll have it. And in exchange for that, I'm going to give you healing and wholeness. That's what happens at this close table, is an exchange of brokenness for healing. Isn't that wonderful? That that's what happens when Jesus is the host. He invites us all on equal terms into this messy table of Jesus, where he's the host and he exchanges our brokenness for his wholeness. guy called uh, Miroslav Wolf said this. Maybe you could resonate. The, the church is not the club of the perfect, but the gathering in the, spirit, in the spirit of people who understand their need of God and call out to Jesus. And that's the reason you come to this table. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm not coming because I'm perfect. I'm not coming because he's perfect or she's perfect. I'm coming because Jesus you take this brokenness upon yourself and you distribute healing and wholeness to us as a people. Wherever you are at today, you're invited to this table. I want to give you, give you the invitation of Jesus to come to this amazing table, uh, table with Jesus where he is the host and where you can draw close to him and find healing and wholeness in the midst of brokenness. Will you come? <laughs> I've not got to the end of my sermon, by the way. That's just part one but the others are shorter but you're invited you're invited and you can come close table the first aspect of Jesus ministry think of the last supper where Jesus is a host of a rabble of people and we all come as guests 
bringing everything that we are to that table and finding Jesus in the midst of it. That's the first one. The second one is this, the open table. And here we're moving now from the scene of the Last Supper to another very famous scene of Jesus that we'll all be familiar with, and that is the feeding of the 5,000. You know that story? They're all out in the, in the wilderness sort of area, and Jesus is there teaching, and there's thousands of people gathered around, and the disciples are getting a bit fretful because he's going on too long. I get that a lot. People being fretting, fretting about me. Uh, warning, what's the time? Uh, He's going on too long, and they're going, what are we going to do? <laughs> hey, Jesus, you better stop now. Hold this one for tomorrow. I know you're only on point one, but you're going to have to get going because it's getting dark, and, you know, wh- where are people going to sleep? Where are they going to eat? Come on, Jesus. Uh, you know, you, you, you're hogging the limelight a little bit. You just need to let them go. And Jesus turns around to them and says that very famous word, <laughs> doesn't he? He says, you give them something to eat. Yeah, exactly. Ah, what are, you, like, what are you talking about, Jesus? We've got nothing. That's why we're telling you to send them away, because we don't have any food. If we'd had food, we might have suggested that we give food, but we haven't got it. So there's no way that we can give them something to eat. What a brilliant question. In that question, you see, Jesus is inviting those disciples to join him in hosting. So, you got that? The first table, Jesus is the host, we're the guests. In this, ta- this aspect of Jesus' ministry, we find Jesus inviting the disciples to join him in hosting these thousands of people. You give them something to eat. And they go, I haven't got <laughs> anything. And they go, what? And he goes, what have you got? Go, well, I've nicked a kid's lunch. Perfect. That's all you got. Okay. And as they take that little piece of food, and place it in the hands of Jesus and allow Jesus to break it. And as they take it and as they give it, we find that they become participants in Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Maddie, do you want to come and give your that? This is on. Cool. Um, Yeah, I just want to give you a little bit of my story about what it's been like to co-host with Jesus. And it starts, um, for me, not on a mountainside with 5,000 people wanting dinner, but actually as a teacher in a further education college where um, one particular year I was tutoring a disadvantaged group of young people. And it turned out, it, it came to my knowledge and much to my shock that seven out of 21 of my students didn't know where they were going to sleep that night. That's a third of those 16 to 18 year olds. And it was a bit of a moment like that, you know, where, where um, Jesus sort of says, what are you going to do about it? Um, and that stayed with me for a little while. And some time later, I began, it, it, it troubled me, as it would any of us. And your reaction indicates the same. Like, that's a troubling thing. And as a disciple of Jesus, that's something you can't help but want to do something about. And Jesus wants people in homes and safe and secure at night, doesn't he? Um, and 
some time passed and stories that there aren't time to tell you today, but I met somebody who could teach me how to run a property investment company that could house homeless people. How cool is that? Who knew that was a thing? Um, and that meant, you know, that has really been a journey, of, well, we're seven years, seven years on now, but the opportunity in that for me has been to host hundreds of people who would otherwise have been homeless. It's been a bit of a scary journey at times, and I have to say that I wouldn't have done it without Jesus, you know, doing it with Jesus. I couldn't have done it on my own. It's taken me into running a business. I didn't know that was possible for me. It's taken me into environments where I never thought I would be comfortable talking to very wealthy people and persuading them to invest in what I was doing for the sake of responding to that call of it's not okay for these people to be homeless. And so that looks like, uh, I've gone the wrong way, sorry. That looks like Mark's slide, followed by my slide, which is actual houses that house people who would otherwise be homeless in and around where we live in Northamptonshire. And that looks like, and I don't, I'm not putting these numbers up here to, to boast, but I want you to know what's possible when you, when you respond to what Jesus asks you to do, like those disciples did on the mountainside that day. That looks like having now provided over 136,000 nights where somebody has put their head on a pillow in a house that I've arranged because I've, I've responded to that call and I get to co-host every single one of those. Jesus, 95 people every night put their head on a pillow in Northamptonshire as I put my head on a pillow and they get to sleep in a safe and secure house and I get the privilege of hosting them along with Jesus. That's this open table that we're talking about. And I guess the invitation is for us, you know, the disciples were around Jesus on the hillside that day and he said to them, you give them something to eat. And the question for all of us is, what is it that you see around you that God could be calling you to co-host alongside him to change things around you. Maybe, maybe you have time to give. Maybe there's a need that really gets you riled up. It, it makes you sick to think that that's a need. Maybe there's something that you know, Jesus would have you co-host with him in. Not to go do it on your own. You don't have to do that. But you get to go and do it with Jesus. You get to co-host with Jesus. And I'll hand back to Mark. Good stuff. I think it deserves a little round of applause, just a little ripple. Yeah, oh, thanks. I know it's my wife and everything, but why not? No, it's amazing what we can do when we put the little that we have in the hands of Jesus. And he's able to do far more than we can imagine <laughs> because he is multiplying uh, what's going on. And obviously one of the amazing, we can't do a full kind of preach on the feeding of 5,000, but I often ask, think about the question, ask the question, where did the miracle happen? Like, did it happen in the hands of Jesus, or did it happen in the hands of the disciples? And as I imagine it, and I'm pretty sure, it happens in the hands of the disciples 
as they break and they give, doesn't it? I don't think they went, I don't think they had a little basket and suddenly it was full and went poof, like that. I don't, are you different to me? That's how I, am. I don't imagine it as going, you know, disciples walking up to a group of 50 or whatever and going, uh, okay, I've got one of the loaves. Uh, I'll start with a little bit. <laughs> tearing off a corner, tearing off. And as they break and give, and as they break and give, oh, there's still enough to break and give. Break and give, oh, st- is that how you imagine it? That's like it, it happens in their hands as they are willing to break and to give. And in that moment, we become co-hosts with Jesus for many around us. We provide a welcome. That welcome that we talk about of the close table of Jesus hosting us is something that he invites us to join in with as we are able to provide the same welcome to others. Isn't that exciting that we can be part of that? As Nancy gave that tongue earlier, this, this verse uh, from Ephesians 1 in the message came to mind. And I'll just read this bit out. It says this, It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Jesus has designs on you for glorious living. And there is an invitation, even as we get our hopes up, as we get invited to this amazing table. He says, yeah, and I'm inviting you to participate in what I'm also offering to others. That was open table, co-host, lastly, and much more quickly, the life table. Let me just do this one. It'd be a shame to miss it out, the third one. The life table. So we've looked at two stories where Jesus is hosting and he invites his disciples to host. But the truth is the majority of Jesus' time at meals don't, aren't there when he is a host, but rather when he is a guest. I remember uh, when a, a, a guy, a retired guy moved, to, uh, moved into our neighbor just a few, years, few, few doors down, and he came to me, we were talking to him, and we just cut a load of trees down in our back garden, and he came to me and he said, hi there, uh, would you like me to dig up the roots of these trees in your garden? I don't know about you, but my response to that was, wait, I'm supposed to be the Christian around here. You know, I'm supposed to be the one who's supposed to be doing lovely things for other people. Uh, what are you doing trying to do lovely things for me? Uh, what, what's going on? And, and actually, I had to eat a bit of, you know, swallow my pride a little bit and go, yeah, sure, that'd be great. And obviously, it would be great <laughs> for him to do that for me. And in that moment, we had a wonderful conversation. But so often we think that the only time good stuff can happen is when we're here at church and we can be these wonderful hosts with Jesus. Maybe we think that way around. But you know what? The the work of the kingdom happens not just when we're here together, but the work of the kingdom in Jesus happened when he became the guest at someone else's place. If you like, the roles are reversed. And that's why, that's what I'm saying about what happened with John, is the roles reversed. And actually, in that moment, we had some brilliant conversations. We talked about all sorts of stuff, and including God and all those sorts of things. But I had to accept a role reversal. Maybe not only am I supposed to host and be kind and show love to other people, but maybe I enter into a real relationship where they also 
uh, yeah, that, that's reciprocal. So we can think of something like, say, about like Jesus and Zacchaeus, where Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your house. And what's going to happen as Jesus enters that house, we find in that moment that amazing transformation, I'm shortcutting the story, uh, the amazing transformation happens as Jesus enters someone else's house. The funny thing about that story is that Jesus actually never says anything. Have you noticed that? There's no, I mean, presumably he did, but you know, it's not recorded there. But actually as the presence of Jesus comes into that place, Zacchaeus goes, you're right. <laughs> well, I haven't said anything. No, you're right. I just need to change my whole life. I need to repent. I need to give half my possessions to the poor, and I need to give people who, who I cheated. Isn't that amazing? That even in the presence of Jesus as he enters another person's place can also be a kingdom moment and bring the kingdom into that place. I'm just getting right to the point here and going right to the end. Jesus actually does, says exactly the same thing in Luke's 10 to his disciples. He says, I want you to go off ahead of me. Don't take any bag. Don't take any money. Don't take anything. Go into a new place with nothing and see who will invite you into their house. And when you go into their house, you're to say, peace beyond this place. And as you're there and as you're sharing the gospel and as you're praying for people, what happens, Jesus says, what happens is you're there, you can announce to this place that the kingdom has come. Wow. Jesus is saying that in his disciples' presence, Jesus isn't there, right? Jesus is coming in a bit. Jesus isn't there. The disciples have gone and they've entered a house and in the, in the very reality of them as disciples entering that foreign place, that other place, that house that they uh, are not used to, that actually the kingdom of God has drawn near. That's the phrase that Jesus uses. The kingdom of God has drawn near. My question is, okay, we can talk about the close table, and isn't that we get drawn into the table around Jesus, and we can talk about the open table where we get drawn into this wonderful ability to host people and set the tone of this wonderful place of invite. But also, there is another table I want you to think about today, and that is the life table. I think I could come up with a better name, but I'm sticking with it for now. The life table. And that is, where in your life do you encounter a table? Not a table that you're hosting at, but a table that you find yourself at. And I bet you can think of a few where you find yourself as a guest at a table. We ask that question. Uh, so you might think about these things. Let's show, where is your life table? Can you think about that? Well, here, maybe here's one. This is Rhoda's one, I think, probably, which is a coffee shop. Plenty of tables there. What about the fact that when you are meeting a friend at a coffee table and you share together not a place where you're hosting, but a place where you're a guest just like them and you're, hitting, you're drinking your coffee, you're flat white, yeah, Rhoda's nodding. That that moment might be a moment where the kingdom of God has drawn near because you are there. I asked the question of that in our, in our church and one of my friends who's a solicitor in a local law firm, he said, well, my table is the boardroom table where we gather as partners and we make decisions for our company of 150 people. And he says, that's my life table. And in that moment, actually, the kingdom of God can draw near as I make, make choices that do the employees good, that set a culture and a tone for this company that have a, a little taster 
of what the kingdom of God is about. That's my life table. Another guy said, well, it's the pub. When I go to the pub after work for a drink, it's those moments where I can see myself bringing the kingdom into that place as I have conversations around real life. This is the one that got me, though, which was another lady, a Nepali lady, and she said, my life table. She works in a nursing home and often with, and amongst, uh, with palliative care. And she says, it's th- those moments when I take food, and she's a, she's a care assistant, she's not a nurse. When I take food and I'm feeding food to, this, uh, to, the, to the person that I'm caring for, she said, that's my life table. And she said, in that moment, I do bring the kingdom of God. I am praying. <laughs> she said, what, who, when do people need God most apart from in that moment? I'm praying. So he said, sometimes I even pray out loud. Don't tell anyone. That's my life table. That's the place where I bring the kingdom. And as she thought about this life table, she began to get excited about how that was a really significant thing in the kingdom of God, to be in that moment. Actually, she's, she came from Nepal, actually in the middle of the pandemic, time to come. She's locked in, locked in the house for most of the time. Uh, but she said in, in Nepal, actually, she was quite, her whole world revi- revolved around church, really. There was a home and a school and buildings, and she was, most of her life revolved around this church setting. It's as she's come to the UK that she's found herself in a job like this with people who aren't Christians. And she said, I've discovered by coming to the UK that I am actually a missionary. What does she mean by that? She means these moments the life table, the ability in the reality of life to pray for people, to share the kingdom with people because of what she's received in Jesus. It's in Jesus that we find out who we are, what we're living for. He's got designs on us for glorious living. Let me tell you, those things are glorious living when we realize that we become representatives of the kingdom of God. When you are there, kingdom of God has drawn near. Let me just pray for you as we finish. Thank you, Lord. Let's just pray. Thank you, Lord. I just want to just allow, if, if you feel today that, you, you know, actually, yeah, you want to, you know that you need to be drawn close <laughs> today to that table, that last supper table. Maybe you've been focusing a bit too much on those betrayals and arguments and, and things like that, and you go, do you know what? I know that in the brokenness of Jesus, I can receive wholeness. Then I just encourage you to receive that today to come. And If you know that actually God's given you, he's got, given you just a little bit in your hand, and it's time to be joining him in hosting, breaking, giving, then just bring that to Jesus. Or maybe it's that moment, as I've just talked about, three tables, cafes and boardrooms and in the, in the care home. Actually, you know that you've got a table in your life that you've not realized that you're a kingdom bringer to. And maybe you want to bring that to God today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing ministry, even around meals, even around the table. Thank you that it is that we are drawn to a table right at the center of who we are as church, right at the center of our, our identity. We're drawn to your table, the Lord's Supper. And we all come as equals. Welcome. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that you take our brokenness and the brokenness of others on yourself. All the pain of that, Lord, you've taken on yourself. And we can receive healing from you. And we receive that today. 
Thank you, too, that you take our little bit and you multiply it as we place it in your hands. And we have the privilege of hosting and welcoming in the way that you do. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, too, that we become representatives of your amazing kingdom wherever we go. Every table that we find ourselves at, in us, you, Jesus, are drawing near. And we thank you for that, too. Amen.